Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Hey you! Wink! Today we'll be discussing Fantastical by Kristen Ashley. Cora wakes up in what she first assumes a dream world where birds talk to her and the furniture defies physics. She inadvertently sets off a centuries-old curse and soon realizes she's not actually dreaming, but in an alternate world where the alternate her is not very nice. Nocturno rescues Cora from the effects of the curse, but he doesn't like or trust her. When Cora tries to tell him who she really is, he thinks it's all a game, but he's willing to play along as long as she stays sweet. We have a content warning for discussion and threats regarding rape, dubious consent, and domestic abuse between the hero and the heroine. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So Erica, how does the story start? Cora wakes up in a very soft, fluffy bed and realizes she's not in her room and a bird flies in and starts singing to her, but she realizes she can understand the bird. <laughs> Which is normal. And um, the bird tells, tells her that his name is Aggie and it's his name because she gave it to him before. It went from Agglethorpe to Aggie. Yes, yes. It started out with Agglethorpe, which is okay. <laughs> Whatever, he's a bird. And then this beautiful uh, woman around her age waltzes into her room and starts dancing around and singing about how she's getting married that morning. Tra-la-la. And Cora, <laughs> Cora is very weirded out, but she kind of assumes it's all a dream. And she thinks, oh, this is really cool. I'm in the middle of one of those Disney princess type dreams. I love the narrator, Tilly Hooper. She did such a great job with creating the tra-la-la lady's voice and actually with Cora's voice too. Just it, it really created that atmosphere of Disney princess movie, like a classic one. Cora goes out onto the balcony and she sees three hot guys riding up on horses and she describes them all as like h-o-t hot and <laughs> yes because it has to be spelled out the hottest one is uh dressed all in black um and he looks very grumpy and he yells at her to get her sister away from the window because she can't see um her groom before the wedding but it's too late and the tra-la-la lady who we learn is her sister rosa is out on the balcony. She sees her groom-to-be, who's one of the other hot guys, not the one in black, and all of a sudden... Yes, who has less powerful thighs than the guy who's dressed in black, who will be yes, the hero. we all care what their thighs look like right now. <laughs> She's very... Ashley is very into thighs. She comments. Lots of comments, <laughs> and then the most powerful thighs belong to the guy dressed in all black. I'm like, all right. She's a thigh lady, all right. <laughs> you know, that, that's okay. She can like what she likes. No comment. <laughs> uh, it just reminds me of uh, comment, Gene no comment. Kelly. Um, <laughs> the Gene Kelly movie, The Pirate. He dances around in like these little short shorts. And he's got really nice legs because he's a dancer. A powerful dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I watched that. Uh, during my <laughs> sexual awakening. <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep this in. But, yeah. Gene Kelly, 
Gene Kelly has well, we watched leg. it together. Not during your sexual awakening. At that yep. point, you have been awakened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was awakened and I shared it with you. I'm like, hmm, you should also enjoy this. <laughs> Which I did. So we have Rosa, the sister, who then sees Dash, who we later will find out is one of Tor's brothers. They make eye contact and horribleness ensues. Yeah, so the beautiful day suddenly turns into, like, cloudy and gloomy and horrible. And these creatures swoop in and, like, take Rosa away. Um, Nocturno, who's the guy in all black, manages to come upstairs and grab Cora and put her on his horse. And they race off through the forest, um, running away from the... The things. The evil things, which... Which we learn are called vicrants. They're not described other than by being referred to as the things. Like Tilly Hooper, who narrates, does a really good job of making that that sound ominous. But I feel like it would have been better had Ashley thrown in some sort of descriptions because they're, they're non-existent. And I'm sitting there wondering... Like, should I picture, like, evil cotton candy monsters? Should I picture something with with wings, with scales, wings and scales? What what do we have going on here? I kind of pictured, like, banshee-looking ghosty things in my okay. head. But you're right. She doesn't really give us anything to go yeah, on. Yeah, see, I was thinking, like, actually, like, some sort of either lizardy, birdy creature. But it, it's never described. Mm. And then when I feel like when I realized it wasn't getting described, then I sort of did like reader revolt and I was like, well, fine. And then I made up my own really ridiculous creature. So I'm not sure that really helped the story overall, but I was amused. Oh, and it's important to note that the second that the storm hits, you know, when the weather changes, mm-hmm. uh, Cora hears a evil cackle. Which I got really excited. Yes, an evil bone chilling cackle. I was like, ooh. Fun things are going to yes. happen. They race through the woods and Nocturno gets Cora to a cave. Yes, his hunting cave. And then he has some things to say to her. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's perpetually grumpy with the 32-year-old admin assistant from Seattle that he doesn't realize is not the Cora that he <laughs> knows. And the Cora that he knows is apparently lazy and a bitch. I don't consider bitch an insult, <laughs> but clearly Cora and everyone else in that world does. So when they're constantly calling the other Cora a bitch, I'm like, yes, and? Like, what? <laughs> I need a little bit more to go on. He gets her to the cave. He starts shaking her and he starts yelling at her. What did you do? Why did you do this? You know she wasn't supposed to be there. And Cora is just like non-plus she's like what what is going on i don't understand so apparently rosa has one half and dash has the other half of a soul and when they see each other which they weren't supposed to do that starts a curse yes they're not supposed to see each other before they get married yes other cora knew this however for reasons that really still confuse me rosa was not supposed to know about this because she's innocent and is supposed to be kept that way so she's never supposed to know about the evil shrew witch minerva and 
the curse that she wishes to bring about. I'm so confused. I think they kind of treat Rosa like she's just a delicate little flower, you know, and I think that's part of it. Yeah, I don't. I don't like things like that. <laughs> just I, I, I don't understand why she has to be kept somewhat infantilized. No, no, she, she can never know about the horribleness of the actual world. We just have to keep her in this crystal jar or whatever it is that she's supposed to live in. Yes. I, I don't get it. I'm confused. That's not my thing. <laughs> Nocturno is shaking Cora and yelling at her. And he says... You care for her deeply, or so I thought. And if you didn't care about her, we both know you care for Dash. Dun, dun, dun. And Cora is still going like, what? Why? What is going on right now? And he says, your feelings for them, my feelings for them. That's why we wed in the first place. And she's like, what? We're married? Yes. And at this point, I'm not sure if Cora actually has accepted the fact that it's not a dream. I think it's while she's riding on the horse. Okay. She realizes she's not dreaming because she can feel everything. Oh, and then he tells her that she's gained weight. Yes, but he's into that. <laughs> yeah, there's a little element where Cora goes, oh, great, I'm fat in this world. But obviously she's not, like, overweight at all. She's just larger than the other Cora, slightly. Yes. So I don't appreciate the whole fat comments. It happens a couple times. It does happen a couple times. I do think it's important to note that Tor is into it. She, it's more something that she does to herself in that, you know, like, oh, I'm fat. He clearly, whatever he thinks about her body type, he is into it. And the thing is, too, is she's not, I mean, she's not much different from the other Cora because she's able to fit into her clothes. Yeah. So they end up in this cave. Cora looks around and she realizes that it's a place where Tor, Nocturno, seems to stay because there's a table and a pile of wood that's been chopped and there's a pile of furs to sleep on and a bunch of discarded animal bones on the floor. <laughs> Cora just starts, like everything has hit her, right? She's, she realizes she messed up. She's thinking about Rosa and she feels bad because her initial impressions of Rosa is that she's a very happy, shiny, awesome person. She feels bad for the bird because the bird gets shot up through the storm and blown away and she doesn't know what happened to him. She feels bad for for Dash, who's Rosa's beloved. The only person she's talked to is Tor, who's mean to her, angry with yes. her. <laughs> so she's trying to figure out how she gets transported yeah. there to a world where she's in this uncomfortable cold cave with a whole bunch of weapons. Tor comes back with a rabbit and spits it on the fire and tells her to not let the fire go out. And then he goes off to get more supplies or something. And when he comes back, she's cooking the rabbit on the spit, like basting it with the juices using a pan. And he doesn't really take this very well. Like he doesn't understand why she's doing these things because apparently the Cora he knows is lazy and doesn't do things like take care of fire and cook and stuff like that like exceedingly lazy yeah he says to her you are strange and then he says you cannot carry logs and cook meat and make me think you sweet i know you i know this is not you what i also know is that the only energy you will expend is to connive and maneuver to take best care of yourself don't make the mistake of thinking me a fool and so he's thinking that 
it's the other Cora trying to trick him. Yes, and he said at this point that he knows that they aren't a love match. So he knows, again, with the other half of the soul, that Cora does not have the other half of his soul. I don't know that he knows that specifically, but yes, he knows that they, they're not suited the way they're supposed to be. According to legend. According to myth and legend. <laughs> Every generation or something, the evil she-witch shrew Minerva separates two souls and puts them into four different bodies. So Cora and Tor are one of the couples. Because she's bored, which I kind of love. And Rosa and Dash <laughs> are the other couple. Yeah, I love that Minerva's just like, no, I'm just going to screw with people. Which initially you think, oh, it's so horrible. And then after you meet the people, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Screw with them. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I'm just terrible. (laughs) There's that. So then it's bedtime. And there's only one place to sleep. And Cora asks if he can take some of the furs and sleep somewhere else. And he's like, no, you can sleep next to me. Or you can go sleep somewhere else with the crappy top fur that isn't very comfortable and she doesn't want to and he acts like he doesn't want to sleep with her either you know because apparently the one and only time he slept with the other Cora she was not a very good lover she stole the blankets and she snored (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh so she lays down next to him and she does thank him for dinner and saving her from the Vicrants. And this surprises him because, you know, Cora said thank you, which I guess other Cora's not want to do. No. And so this is where we we begin with the Stockholm Syndrome, I <laughs> <Yeah>. think. <laughs> because Cora's thinking to herself, at least he's taking care of me. He's warm and strong and he saved me. He's feeding me. He's keeping me in a safe, dry, warm, nasty cave. It's okay if he horrifies me a little bit, making me earn my keep by giving him my body. It's fine. I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm not. I'll tell him I'm not. Oh, yeah. You know, ultimately, it's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. He decides that he kind of likes a sweet Cora who's who he thinks is is playing a game and he he's sort of playing along with it and he's like well you know what are you gonna do for breakfast are you gonna kiss me at first she's like wait what yeah are you gonna are you gonna you know do you want some clean clothes do you want to go take a bath do you want something to eat well you have to earn it Uh, (laughs) it's gross it's gross behavior yeah he thinks she's trying to seduce him too because she cuddled with him in in her sleep because she was cold and scared. Yeah, which later he actually does bring up. He's like, in those, basically in those early days, you were trying to seduce me. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And he's like, yeah, you were. You know you were. It's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Clearly he doesn't understand how seduction works. When you're scared and on the verge of tears, that is not. <laughs> he's got some weird ideas. And I don't really think he ever redeems himself from this initial, this initial meeting between them because yeah he thinks she's a horrible person but she's obviously scared and worried and alone and realizes she screwed up i think even if he thought she was a horrible person i don't think that excuses him treating her the way he does no and that's sort of what the 
story reinforces, which is, no, no, it's okay that he does these things because the other Korra is terrible. How is she terrible? She's lazy, she's a bitch, and she's a bad lay. <laughs> which makes me start to think, I kind of like other Korra better because... It would make sense if she was a little bit resistant, if she was truly in love with the other guy, but she has to marry this guy who we've learned will not treat her well if he doesn't like her, if she's not sweet. Yes. Now, we do learn that the other Cora has more things wrong with her than just being a, a quote, bitch. Initially, we don't know this, but yeah. Initially, that's all we know. And he goads her into kissing him, and she does, and it's a very, very good kiss. And then he looks at her, and he calls her a conniver. He also calls her, at one point, a cow. He calls her a cow, yeah. He, he does. And then later, much later, like towards the very end of the story, she calls the other Cora a cow. And I just think that's some interesting echoing. Yeah. <laughs> So this Cora, she cleans up the cabin. She takes out all the bones and throws them away. She sweeps the dirt floor and makes everything look nice. The whole time, he just doesn't trust her or believe her at all. He thinks she's just pretending to have this complete change of character. And she makes the decision to tell him who she really is. And she tells him that if you give me a chance, I can show you I'm not the Cora you know. And he replies, I'll wager you can and I'll wager you'll stick with it every second of the day and live it with every breath you take. But all of it will be an act of pure deception. <laughs> so he, he just does not believe like every single thing that happens that proves that she's not the Cora he knows. He just thinks she's acting. He starts telling her the background. She says, well, just, you know, please just play along <laughs> and tell me what's going on. Yeah, because she's trying to figure out the world because she doesn't know. Yeah, he tells her about how um, the souls are split. He tells her that, you know, they had sex the one time and then he installed her in the house and went off and did his own thing and had his needs met elsewhere. And she's upset because he, quote, cheated on her. This happened in the other stories, too, where the female characters are really quick to be like, no, he is my man. This is my world. I don't understand why Cora is so quick to jump into these other Cora's shoes. Yeah, why does she care if he gets his needs met elsewhere? Shouldn't she be happy? Because he's basically trying to force her into doing stuff with him. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why she takes this so personally. You know, he's holding he's holding delicious food and clean clothes and a bath over her head. Yeah, and I mean at one point she says, Why do you hate me so much? And he calls her a sly cow. It's just <laughs> The whole time he acts like he hates her, but he calls her my love. It's it's very, uh, I don't know what to call it. Like he may accuse her of playing games, but he's up to some really shady games as well. Again, again, you think Minerva messing with these people. Maybe not such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> At least if you're me. Yeah. So they go to the village nearby and he gets her a new dress and some shoes and they go out to eat and he warns her to not play this game with him. She's consistent with telling him the truth this whole time. Like once she starts, she's just consistent. She doesn't pretend to be the other Cora, even though he insists that she is. 
And she's quote unquote punished for it too by his grumpy moods yeah. and all of that and getting spanked and you know there's one point um after they're at the village when they're going to the village or something like that and he says that he should just let himself go and enjoy this game who knows how far she'll take it and he says you might eventually give me something I'll really enjoy like a bloody air yeah Ugh. that's that's part of why he's so mad is because he wants that air because he's we find out he's a prince. We all know that. And she's totally into him being a prince. You know, she wants to know, like, how, where his place is in the line of succession to the throne. And she's very impressed when it's like, oh, he's first in line. And she enjoys the idea of being Cora Hawthorne princess. Again, Stockholm Syndrome. I'll give you my, you know, my title and my <laughs> castle and my everything. But you have to pretend to be little wifey yeah and after she's so excited about finding out that she's a princess and all of that he does call her a greedy tart and you know what i'm kind of going yeah okay i kind of see it <laughs> maybe not the tart thing so much but the greedy tiara is kind of fitting a little bit yeah and this whole time he's calling her love or my love and she asks him can you please stop calling me that the people in my life call each other that when they really love each other and you obviously hate me. And he refuses to stop. Yeah, he refuses to stop calling her love. He's got his own game that he's playing. Yeah, well, after the village, he says to her that he's changed his mind. Play this game. I want you to. Let me take you to my castle where you can play it. Let me make you heavy with my air. And I'll treat you like a queen while you play it. And she gets so upset because she's like, you had a castle and you didn't take me there. It's like, okay, do you remember the things yeah. that you were so scared of? He's so gross. He says, just open your legs, convince <laughs> me you're enjoying it. Settle a sun on me. And before you leave, I'll hand you the world. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of gross. I can't help but wonder about her priorities in that moment. I was like, yes, okay, so what if he has a castle? If you're being chased by something scary, you just get to a place and lay low. Wait till the scary thing is gone. Who cares if it's in a cave? No, her priorities... <laughs> her priorities are a little in need of adjustment. <laughs> and she's a 32-year-old woman. I, I don't know. That's not the expectation I have for a woman in her 30s. But maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I don't know enough women in their 30s. I don't know. Yeah. No, this is a thing in the other two books as well, where the women are 30-ish and behave much younger. At least I perceive them to be much younger. In my experience, people in their 30s tend to have their life together. Well, they, they understand, you know? like, okay, safety first, <laughs> castle later, not castle now, screw safety. I want to be treated like a princess. That apparently I am, only she's not. It's the other Cora, but... <laughs> yeah. She wants all the good things from this world, but none of the bad things. So they get back to the cave after after being at the village, and they get attacked by more Vikrants, and Tor is like, did you throw away all the bones? And Cora goes, yeah, obviously I threw away the bones. They were disgusting. And he goes, no, they have my saliva on them. They can track that. They can... They can track our bodily fluids. <laughs> well, just saliva and blood, apparently, because urine is too acidic to track, which saliva actually is a little bit acidic, but whatever. Oh, and semen. They can track him through semen. Yes. But that's the... Here's the thing. Like, if Tor thinks 
other Korra is so bad, but he notices the cave is cleaned because he comments on it. Wouldn't he think to check the bones? Wouldn't that be his responsibility? I think he was so caught up in the, the quote, game that maybe he wasn't paying attention. I like that he has flaws. Don't get me wrong, because I get tired of the, oh, he's basically a god, which, ugh, whatever. So I, I like that he is. I just don't <laughs> like that when the mistake is made, it's her fault. Like, whatever it is, it's her fault. It's always her fault. His instant reaction to whatever it is, is he's grumpy at her. Yeah. He's super grumpy. You just get so, you just expect it so much in the story. They're like, oh yeah, what's he grumpy about now? Let's just get it over with. He's grumpy about <laughs> everything. In my head, this whole book, I'm just calling him Mr. Grumpy Pants. That's a good name for him. Mr. Grumpy Pants doesn't <laughs> like this, Cora. <laughs> Cora, be careful. Mr. Grumpy Pants would, be, would not be amused. Nicer than some of the things that were running through my head. <laughs> like every time she, every time she screwed up, I think I told you about this earlier in the week, but every time Cora screwed up or anything, it was mother fuck do 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 mother fuck do. <laughs> like, just, what'd you do now? You know, yeah. holy shit do 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 do. <laughs> it was just, I started to make it a little game for myself. Yes. Because I was just, I'll go along with it, fine, we're going to make this fun, because otherwise it's so depressing. Tor tells her that they're only safe from the Vikrants on holy ground, and so they slash their way through the Vikrants um, to a church, and the horse, his horse runs them into the church. Cora, you know, fights back, protecting his weak side, protecting the horse, like, she, she tries. Yeah, she thinks of herself as a warrior princess. Yeah, that's a bit generous, but she tries. It's good. She tries. She wants she, does. she wants to help. All of this, she wants to help. She's eager to yes. get on his good side. So that she's not, you know, shaken anymore. Shocker. But unfortunately, when they get to the church, <laughs> he shakes her. <sighs> Mother fuck do 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 do. Uh, he shakes her yeah. and starts yelling at her about the bones. And flinging her about so that she gets bruised on the pews. Do you want them to find us? Maybe. Let Minerva come. Come on. Can't be worse than him at this point. <laughs> Maybe Minerva will treat her well. <laughs> at that point, Cora decides she cannot stay with him anymore. And so she she's befriended the horse throughout this first part of the story. Yes, Salem. Yeah, so she gets Salem to take her away somewhere. And he, while she can't understand what the horse says, like she could with the bird, she can understand, like, body language of the horse, I guess. And Salem basically tells her, yeah, I'll take you somewhere <laughs> safe. And so she gets on his back and they ride away to a hunting lodge yeah, they ride like a day and a half away. Like, it's a considerable distance. Yeah. But when she wakes up... <laughs> Holy shit. Do, it do, turns do, out do, it's do. Tor's hunting yep. lodge. Epic surprise. <laughs> He's grumpy. Yeah, Mr. Grumpy Pants is very grumpy. <gasps> and he says, what, do you think my horse would take you somewhere where I couldn't <laughs> find you? A2 Brute. <laughs> A2 Salem. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, to Cora's credit, 
she fights back a little bit this time. She tells him that he's done nothing but scare her and be mean to her. And she says, you made me cower in front of you like a weak thing. You scared me so much. You forced me to humiliate myself in front of you. So you've shaken me before. You've spanked me twice and done other stuff that's not very cool. But that I cannot forgive you for. I could fight the Vikrans with you and I'll admit I was terrified out of my brain while I did it. But it was you who scared me so much I couldn't fucking breathe. He does flinch. Like, you, you see that it gets to him. Yeah, it gets to him. But. <laughs> and I think it's at this point that he starts being nicer to her. Yeah. And she thinks that he's believing her now. Yes. You don't really see anything from Tor that suggests otherwise. Like, you see him more and more go along with it, so it makes it more believable. Mm-hmm. And Cora starts thinking about, well, if the other Cora switched places with me, what kind of havoc is she wreaking in my life back home? Yeah, I must admit, I felt like, you know, that Cora got the best deal because she got away. <laughs> but I mean, I don't, apart from mentioning in the of the curse and the Vicrants showing up occasionally, there's no real showing of the curse. No. Tor mentions that there's been unpredictable weather, but... You know, we as the reader don't even see it. So it makes you kind of wonder how powerful this quote unquote god Minerva really is. Or maybe she's not really good at wreaking havoc at people. There's one point where we learn that she needs both sisters to complete the curse. So she needs Cora in addition to Rosa. Yeah, I just think it would help for like a sense of foreboding. Because other than getting mentioned, Minerva isn't really around. No, she's really not. She's just a looming threat that it never really comes to fruition. She's just looming. Tor badmouths her, but, you know, we don't really think all that highly of Tor. So I'm sort of of the opinion that anyone he badmouths probably is pretty nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's the smartest way to think about it. I never said I was intelligent. <laughs> He's not a very trustworthy character, I agree. But at the same time... The enemy of my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Cora starts to think she's stuck there forever and she tells him that she when all this is over she wants to go off and explore the world and he tells her that he's not going to let her because he's decided he likes having her around and he's going to keep her lucky her <laughs> he says he's gonna take her to his castle where they'll be safe and as they're going there she hears Aggie chirping asking for help and they find him Cora's gonna climb the tree to get him down and Tor's like uh no so he climbs the tree for her and grudgingly rescues Aggie so grudgingly and he wants to kill the bird to put it out of its misery yeah he tells her oh there's nothing we can do for him we'll just take care of him like take care of it and she's like <laughs> what no like Aggie is one of the only creatures in this world that's been nice to me <laughs> Which is why he wants to kill it. He wants to be the only nice thing in her life. Quote unquote nice. He's a prince among men. But instead he does agree they'll rescue Aggie and they go to a town and find a, a animal vet and get his wing fixed up and everything. 
And there's this very telling sentence where she thinks to herself, he didn't make me pay the debt I owed him for saving Aggie. Mm. (laughs) So she's already thinking that he's being nice to me. He took me to town. He's buying me clothes. He's letting me eat good food. He saved my friend Mm. Aggie the bird. I owe him and he's not making me pay. Yeah, it's gross. I feel like the audience is the one paying. This part is just, it's sad. Yeah, it's that too. She's fully caught up into the game he's playing with her yeah he thinks she's playing a game but really he's the one playing the game and he's gaslighting her at every turn she just goes along with it she's so desperate to to get on his good side she's scared of the vicarants and what horrible things may happen because of the curse and like here's a guy who will protect her all she has to do is submit and he'll protect her as long as he likes her so they get to his city it turns out he rescued a city Belbrin, it's a city-state. So while he's a prince in line for the throne, he actually rules this particular city. Yeah, so you get a little bit of Tor backstory at this point and find out that in liberating the city from King Balder to the north, love that guy, he is reclaiming lands that were supposed to be part of his birthright. And so he went to war. And that's why he has his cool guy scar on his face. Yes, he has multiple scars, but one, the one on his face, which is the one that gets talked about the most, from his five-year campaign to reclaim lands. I don't know about you, like the description of the quote-unquote city, which actually she calls a city, which... I don't know what to make of that because I know this is supposed to be fantasy in the past land, but the word city to me Mm -hmm. sounds very modern. So I got a little confused there. But I sort of imagined his castle as like Cinderella's castle, but more gothy, which actually I kind of love. (laughs) So like the Bavaria, uh, the castle in Germany that Cinderella's castle is based on, which I'm not going to pronounce because I don't want to slaughter that word but i just imagine that with like lots of the wrought iron and i thought it was cool belbrin seems like a cool uh city to me i didn't get thrown off so much by it i just kind of pictured like there's the castle and then there's the surrounding buildings of the castle and then there's the settlement beyond the castle and all of it maybe encircled by like a wall or something i kind of pictured even though i didn't picture it um in the like buildings of the same style i kind of pictured it like agrabah Okay. Where, you know, you have the Sultan's Palace and then beyond the palace, there's the yeah. the settlement. The township. Yeah, that's kind of how I pictured how it looked, although not not uh, Middle Eastern inspired, more of a European okay. look. But yeah. No, I could see that. I could easily see that. And Cora, at this point, they're heading to the city and she realizes she's falling in love with him. <laughs> Or succumbing to the Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, she gets this scary thought. Do the people in the city know me? Like, the other me? (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Mother. (laughs) And she asks Tor, and he says, no, they don't know you. You've only been here once, but you didn't make a good impression. Yeah, you were only here for like three days before, like a million years ago. Don't worry about it, sweetie. (laughs) How how much havoc could... Could Cora reek in three days? <laughs> so they get to the castle. Um, they didn't really, his servants weren't expecting him. So they kind of go in a frenzy, getting everything ready. And uh, she has her own, her own room with her own bathroom. And it adjoins his room. 
and he has his own bathroom. Yes, and I think it's important to note in her little ensuite bathroom area that there's lots of perfumes there. Yes, there's tons, tons of scents, a lot of gardenia, but also some others. Yes, and, and she's like, oh, this is lovely. I love all of this. <laughs> and at this point, they're have, they, they have sex. Yep. <laughs> He's decided, I'm just going to run with it. Yep. And Cora is falling in love with him, so she's okay with it. Oh, Cora. Like, she, she's into Cora, it. Cora, Cora, Cora. And the next day, she meets Perdita, who's, like, in charge of the household, basically. She's she's the top servant. She's very nice to, um, to Tor, but she just tries to lay down the law with Cora. Like, if you have any problems, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Do not talk to my servants about it. Let <laughs> me know what you need before you need it. <laughs> Which is an odd sort of statement to make, because how are you going to know what you need before you need it? But whatever. Yeah. But then she sees that Tor is super happy with Cora. She becomes happier with Cora herself. Like, oh, you gave it up. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll be nice to you. Yes. that's She, she paid for her kindness, being treated like a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Cora knows everyone around hates her. She can just tell. Like, everyone's nice to her face, but talks behind her back. And she even overhears the maids talking about that she's wearing a scent that belongs to one of Tor's, quote, other women. Yeah, that breaks her. Like, that's when, like, she even took the guy, like, spitting behind her as she walked on the street. She's She apparently even weathered that. But the, the wearing the scent of another woman is what breaks her. Yes. Oh, how dare he have sex with someone else when she wasn't even there. Yeah, that I don't get that. Yeah. So she finds him and just starts sobbing into his shirt and begs him to find a witch or a wizard. And he's <laughs> like, no, you're not. No, you're not going home. No, you're going to tell me about all the bad people and I'm going to handle you're it. You're staying here with me. You have no power. Let me do it for you. You paid for your keep. Mm-hmm. Let me take care of you. <laughs> yeah. So he he goes off and presumably rips his <laughs> staff a new one, although we don't really see it. And then everyone is like afraid to not be nice to yeah. her. Which... I guess it's better. I guess it's better, but at the same time, she just, she's stuck in this world where no one believes her, no one likes her, and the people around her who are nice to her are only nice to her because Tor makes them be. Yeah, I guess it seemed like she, I don't know, I don't know if I'm being too mean to Cora, but it seemed like she cracked a little easily. I don't know. I mean, I, I think about it and, and I feel like if I were transported to a parallel world and everyone seemingly knew me and thought I was a horrible person, it would be really hard. Yeah, but how how long would it take you before you... I mean, would... at what point do you start questioning your own sanity? Maybe that's what it is, is I wish maybe at that moment of Cora questioning her sanity or something like that rather than how it's sort of presented in the story which is I walked around for a bit and people didn't like me when up until that point she didn't seem like she was cracking at all like yes she was right becoming more conditioned to whatever it is that Tor expects and wants but she didn't seem so much like she wasn't handling it apart from the physical abuse 
I think that there are some good scenes where she does see I appreciated that she she let it get to her finally because she does she seems to be putting on like this brave face and well as long as Tor is nice to me I can deal with everything else but there's really not enough of her questioning like reality it kind of seems to me like this story could be a lot more about the nature of reality and how she perceives the world because she you know she wakes up and at mm-hmm. first she thinks she's in a dream she accepts then that she's not in a dream she's in like this world where everyone hates her and she is making constant parallels with with her expectation of what a fantasy world ought to be and what it is turning out to be no i i i don't disagree that she should have a breakdown yeah in fact i probably think she's due but I think it's just the way the way it was handled and what seemed to be the final straw, maybe, but just seems off. Yeah, I think I think to to an extent I agree with you. I feel like, oh, people don't like me, I think is is a symptom of the problem. Yes. Not the problem. I totally agree with that. She is. She's cut off the way the other two characters, Cersei and Finny were, where they're completely isolated from anyone that will help them anyone that will be kind to them or anything she's cut off way more than the other two because at least they have you know friendly handmaids or servants or that's true you know people around them who like them she has no one she has she has aggie and she has tor and she has salem who betrayed her Yeah, yeah, she has Salem the horse. Yeah. And that's it. And she's kind of made up her mind that as long as I have Tor, then I'll be okay. And as long as Tor's happy, everything is okay, which is the attitude that the rest of the staff have, which is why they're so nice to her face when... That's true. What was his name? Algernon? You know, when she goes to interact with Tor and Algernon right there and he smiles, but she knows it's fake because it's all like, let's just put on a nice little show for Mm -hmm. for the princeling here. Let's not upset the princeling. Six weeks pass and she's still taking care of Aggie and takes him out to get fresh air because he can't fly still. She finds out it's Tor's birthday. Tor is kind of (laughs) creepy at this point. He is like kissing her asking her how how she's doing and holding his hand on her stomach she doesn't under like she doesn't get it but you know he's like so you got any news for me he very much wants that air she doesn't get it she just thinks he's being sweet and a little weird (laughs) we find out tor is turning 38 for his birthday cora decides she wants to bake him a birthday cake she wants to give him something from her world and she doesn't have any money she doesn't have any things so she decides she's going to bake him this cake and she goes all around town gets all the stuff that she needs for it yes so she can make a red velvet cake minus the red because it's a cake recipe that she knows by heart she does end up finding red food dye though yay and she bakes the cake then she goes out and does her errands around town she's ended up um helping out one of perdita's family members who needs help uh watching her elderly mother occasionally yeah clarabelle yeah she's been spending time with clarabelle who's blonde and reading her stories and stuff and so she feels like well at least i'm friends with clarabelle i have aggie and tor and clarabelle <laughs> and that's it yes she reads romance novels about pirates 
to to Clarabelle. <laughs> when she gets home that day, she finds the cake in the kitchen and it looks awesome. And it turns out that the staff had made candles for it based on her description because in their world, they put sparklers on a tart. And so they actually made little birthday candles. It's very sweet. The staff have clearly started to like her because, of course, the king is happy. Or the prince, I'm sorry. He's not king yet. Yeah, she finds out that that Perdita and, and the staff in the kitchen actually do like her. She's been thinking, oh, they're just being nice to me because they have yes. to be. But it turns out they, they do they like her. They give her a gift. They've come to get to know her. They've had a better impression of her. And they, you know, once they see that, that she's keeping Tor happy, they're willing to, to reevaluate who she is. They're much more pleased with her. And they even go as far as to get her a gift, a scent of her own. So she doesn't have to wear the scents of other women anymore if she doesn't want to <laughs> yes she's very nice <laughs> so she's super excited about this cake and she takes it and she carries it up to Tor's office before she goes in she overhears him talking to one of his men Algernon telling Algernon about how Cora has been telling him all about this different world and how he's given her permission to lie to him because at least living Cora's lie is better than living with the old Cora and that he's trying to get her pregnant and enjoying himself while doing it. Yeah, at least that's why he gets to fuck her. She hears all this and realizes he's just trying to get his air. He's just trying to enjoy himself. He doesn't really love me. He doesn't even like me. He's just yes. messing with me. She she comes into the office and it's obvious to everyone that she knows what he said. Yes, the guys clam up. <laughs> she puts the cake down and she's just like, you need to make your wish. I made you this cake. Now you need to make your wish. Yeah, I think the narrator Hooper did a really good job at this moment with making Cora's voice sound so hollow and so just kicked in because she is i mean as much as we're we're laughing yeah i mean that poor character is you know he doesn't really believe me he doesn't really like me he just wanted to get in my pants that's it yeah this whole time she's thought that he started to believe her and now she realizes that he wasn't being truthful with her at all yeah she was really in love with him yeah she, she starts to run away. He goes to, to grab her and she runs away and trips down the stairs and falls. Yeah, when she's at the bottom of the stairs, because of course Tor is at her, at her side and she just looks at him and she just says, I loved you. And then everything fades to black. <laughs> she wakes up in her own bed in her own world and guess who's there with her? <laughs> yeah, she didn't escape. Nope, that's not this story. <laughs> no. Tor is there with her. Now he realizes that she's been telling him the truth this whole time. <laughs> what do you know, buddy? You come from a world with magic, but did not entertain the, the possibility of another world. And he's telling her, oh, yeah, we're going to get married when we get back <laughs> she's home. Like, what? <laughs> he tells her that when he was holding her at the bottom of the stairs that they got surrounded by a blue mist and then they ended up in her bed yes the blue mist being minerva's calling card and look minerva is finally active in the story directly as opposed to just indirectly with the vicarants and we're like what halfway through the book at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <sighs> Uh, she's upset with him because she's 
Yeah. She's had her heart shattered. And she starts telling him, like, I, you know, why didn't you believe me and all this? And he says, is it normal in this world to travel between worlds? And she says, no. And he says, me either. And she goes, oh, I saw his point and it sucked. It's like, what, his point is that he spent months with you? Like, at least two months with you? The whole time? Thought you were lying to him the whole, whole, whole time? But that's okay because he's never heard of Travel Between Worlds? He's not a very imaginative fellow. Yeah, it just seems a bit much. Like, he's a little slow on the uptake there. He's so wrapped up in his perception of who Korra is that he's not willing to really have some critical thoughts about what's going on. Is it fair to say that maybe there's something a little Rosa about him? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, we've already seen what they like to do with people that they think are just, they're just a little innocent. They're just a little sweet. We have to keep the glass bubble intact maybe with Tor same sort of thing we have to put on the show and dance no you have a point in a way because it does seem like his whole city's in this abusive relationship with him (laughs) (laughs) you're never gonna leave me and go to Baldur. I will fight a war for five years to get you back (laughs) as long as as long as he's happy his subjects are happy if the prince ain't happy ain't nobody happy (laughs) as long as Cora's giving it giving it up They'll like her. Wasn't that the advice that Finny got? Just lay back and think of England kind of thing? Oh, yeah. All of them get that advice. All of them. Oh, you got to give it up regular so that he's nice to you and he doesn't stray. So disappointing. (laughs) You know, you can't expect monogamy from your man in this world. It's a little too hard for them. Apparently. (laughs) This is toxic masculinity land. No, no, Erica. It's fantasy land. Men have no (laughs) self-control. <laughs> I just I hate it. I hate the whole idea that men have no control. I agree. Like it's so stupid. Everyone is able to control themselves. Yes. Everyone. I, within certain things within reason, but yes. Like if you have Tourette's, you obviously can't control the Tourette's. But yes. Yeah, but no one with Tourette's is going around raping other people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I understand your point. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, I don't mean like ticks or that kind of stuff, like bodily functions that you don't have control over, but your actions you have control over. <laughs> One would hope so. And then he tells her that she's seducing him. Yeah, I think he, you know, it's it's definitely one of those um, princess bride moments where it's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. I guess it's supposed to be romantic, yeah. but it really feels kind of rapey. Oh, she wore a short yep. skirt, so she deserved to get what she got, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, that's kind of how it feels. It's like, oh, oh, you're covered from head to toe. Clearly, that means you want me to take all of those clothes off. So Tor decides that she has to rest and he goes out and Cora's kind of worried about him because it's a different world. She would not survive a minute in his world without help. And yet he's totally fine. Yeah. Don't worry, Cora. He's the hero. (laughs) He's fine. She starts looking around. She realizes her apartment's a total mess. She starts cleaning it because she just can't sit still. She finds a whole ton of money that doesn't belong to her in her DVD cabinet. And she realizes that the other Cora has gotten into something a little, maybe not above board. And she's worried because that problem could come to her door. (laughs) She starts calling people. She calls her parents and they 
insists that she brings the sexy voiced man with her to dinner. She tries calling her friends, but no one answers. She calls her job and makes up some excuse that she had amnesia and that's why she hasn't been coming in. And her boss is like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) let me know when you're ready to come back. They totally go with the soap opera storyline. And then Tor comes back, only it's not Tor. No, it's other Tor, known as Nock. The Nocturno from this world. (laughs) And apparently the other Cora hooked up with the other Tor, and they're a thing. Yeah, and he's a little judgy about her clothes, about her ratty sweatshirt. It's like, oh yes, you must be the same guy. I, I understand that behavior well. Yeah, he's a little weird. He comes in and, you know, why are you shutting me out? He gives her a kiss. She kisses him back, and then he's a little weirded out by the kiss, even. Yes, because they realize that they aren't the people that they are expecting. But he pretends he doesn't realize anything weird about her at all. Just because you're getting a kiss from someone and it's not panning out the way you expected, you're not all of a sudden, are you from a parallel world? Like, that's not that's not where your brain immediately goes to. No, that's true. He just kind of files that info away, I think. It's like, <laughs> this is different. Okay, you're not talking the way that you were talking before, which is a more formal way. Don't understand what's going on. Filing information away. She manages to get rid of him. He leaves. She discovers, though, from talking to him that Cora's been playing poker and counting cards. And that's how she's gotten all the money. Yes, because apparently other Cora is very good with numbers. Honestly, I still like other Cora better. <laughs> Tor gets back. Apparently he's been totally fine this whole time. Yeah, I love his explanation. Well, you told me about the other world. I don't know. I mean, I know volcanoes exist. I think I'd be a little shocked to see one in real life. I mean, dude, I know I know Japan exists, but I don't want to be <laughs> stranded there with no one to help me. That is true. Yeah, and that's on our planet. Not, yeah, I don't understand why he's just fine with everything. I I understand that cars are a thing, that planes are a thing, but I'm not at all amazed to see them. You're right, your world is colorless gray, there's wet everywhere, and people are busy, it's just horrible. (laughs) I love how he's like, it's wet everywhere. (laughs) (gasps) Mostly he's just upset that the other Nocturno has come for a visit and touched Cora. (laughs) Oh yes, that brings out his, his ragey, jealousy, grumpy side. Oh look, grumpy dude is back. Not that he ever really left. <laughs> and she starts to forgive him. She's like, oh, he wasn't jealous or hurt about Cora cheating on him. He was thinking about me. That makes it better. I don't get Cora at all. She says to him, only you could be catapulted into a different world, a world totally unlike your own, and take it all in stride. Uh, <laughs> it's because he's not human. In the way that other people are supposed to be human. Yeah, she tells him, okay, well, we have to go have dinner at my folks' house. And he says, okay, I'm driving. (laughs) Yes, after one lesson, he is an expert driver. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, he's totally fine driving her car. It's okay. He's the hero. (sighs) They get to her folks' house. Her parents are kind of hippies, kind of new agey, but they haven't seen Cora for a while at least two months I think and that's... so they kind of want to know what's been going on I think that's how long she was in the other world yeah two months and she decides she's gonna tell them the truth because she thinks to herself well they're kind of new agey maybe they'll believe that you know magic is real and parallel worlds are real and so she tells them about how she got transported to this other world and the stuff that happened there. And then this blue mist transported her and Tor back here. Her parents start thinking Tor is like some sort of 
cult leader who's been brainwashing her. Yeah, they don't believe. And they're picking up on weirdness. And so they don't correctly interpret what that weirdness is. They're just, you know, there's something, Tor has something on her. They just don't know what it is. And the dad starts acting like he's going to kick Tor out of the house and they're going to assess <laughs> Cora. You know, they're worried about her. Yes. Because they're loving parents. And they're like, you know, you've been under this guy's influence a little too long. Exactly. Honey. Maybe you should hang out with us for a while. But of course, Tor won't leave because Tor and Hero. No, Tor, Tor won't leave. And then Cora brings up Rosa. And then it turns out that her parents had had a second child who died at birth named Rosa. And that's what gets them to believe. Yeah, I'm not really sure why that is. Why that one thing suddenly makes everything else make sense. So then Tor and dad go off and bond in the other room and drink and talk about... <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Cora? What they're going to do with Cora, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then Cora has a nice mom and daughter chat with her mom where her mom is basically like, well, you should forgive him for not believing you because it's obvious he cares yes. about you. <sighs> Thanks, mom. The narrator made Cora's voice sound, and I think kind of appropriately, very childish in the way that she's talking to her mom. Like, but mom, he did this. Which, I don't know if that's how you read it. Huh. Um, that's very interesting. But that's how... I didn't read it that way, because the, the way I talk to my mom is like we're peers. Yes. <laughs> that's just, like I said, that's just the way it was read. You know, we're both adults now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the way it was read, was Cora sounded her most childish just the, the the cadence of her voice the way she was you know elongating certain words and pointing out Tor's faults almost kind of like she was tattling but the whole time Cora's mom yeah was just but just forgive him because he loves you it's clear I, I don't know if she understands quite the situation where it's maybe a little less love maybe a little more obsession and domineering and that sort of thing yeah i just don't get it i mean they they definitely got creeper vibes from him initially but now they've reframed it into love and protection oh well he's from another world so obviously it can't be the creeper thing it's got to be love we were mistaken oh and i love how the mom was like uh... when you when you go back to the fantasy land just make sure you're happy so it gives your father peace of mind this family is a little bit weird to me yeah, i don't know i mean it's like they're ob they obviously love her they care about her they, i think they do but she's just like if if there was a fire burning you know tor would run in to save you and i feel like knocking the mother on the head a little bit and going yeah yeah because he'd start the fire and then suddenly feel guilty and realize oh no he has to save her yeah i don't know i think that giving life advice to your kid about their significant other who you've met one time is maybe a yeah. little soon maybe if it was different advice i'd feel better maybe if the mother had had a similar story like well there was this thing that happened with your dad and he didn't believe me and then yeah. this other thing happened and i realized everything was fine it, it's tricky because what's being asked to be believed is really outrageous I'm not sure how a rational person, which Tor 
is said to be he's supposed to be super logical and Cora is not supposed to be super logical. No, she's emotional and that's bad. He he possesses all of the logic in the relationship and so I want to give Tor the benefit of the doubt but he makes it hard because he's an ass. It seems reasonable to me to have a very difficult time believing someone is from another world and it's because of magic. Even if he does live in a world with magic, I understand that magic also should have a limit. Yes. But the thing is, I can understand that, but does no one in his world have mental health issues? No, they don't. Because that's the thing. He's decided that Korra, well, up until he gets transported to Korra's world, he thinks she's just lying to him the whole time. Somehow she's kept it all straight. Somehow she's made up all these weird things that no one's ever heard of before. He thinks that that's what's, what's happening. Not that... Maybe Cora has had some sort of mental break. Yeah, that maybe, maybe she did want to set her sister Rosa up, but in doing so, she saw the horror that she wrought and her, her, her mind snapped. Her mental health took a vacation for a little bit, but that doesn't occur to him. Yeah, the fact that he has no leniency yeah. over it at all until there's actual proof. That's the part that I struggle with. Which makes you wonder how much he must actually care about her. I mean, we understand that he kind of doesn't because he just wants the air. But it makes you kind of wonder because if somebody that you care about is constantly bringing up something, you have to wonder at a certain point where the kernel of truth is that needs to be addressed. Yeah, how troubled would you be, you know, if you find out that your estranged spouse suddenly thinks there's someone else? Isn't that troubling? Rather than than just angering? I would think so, but I'm not Tor. I don't know how Tor thinks. I struggle to relate to Tor at all. I struggle to relate to any of them except maybe Minerva and other Korra. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is like, if okay, let's say you you have a spouse that you're estranged from and you hate each other. They broke your heart and then it turns out that you have to help them. And they're pretending, or you think they're pretending to be someone else. How long does that go on before you realize they're not pretending? That whatever they're doing is real to them at the very least. Yeah, no, you make a valid point. It would certainly be less than the two months. I would think so. Especially of how how earnestly they would be believing what they perceive to be the truth. Yeah, and he just goes along with it. He takes advantage of the situation. Yeah, rather than taking her to a doctor of some kind or a, or a witch or somebody. Yeah, why doesn't he go see a witch and see if it's even a thing? Well, I think if I remember correctly, it's like, yes, magic is real, but at least in their land, it's frowned upon. <laughs> Maybe it's hinted about with the horse name of Salem. Still, though. You know, it's just he's waiting for a for a witch to burn. I don't know. Still. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I'm just, I'm trying to remember what they said in the actual book and I can't. Because it's, it's briefly mentioned. It seems like something that should be explored more. But they can't explore it more because for that to happen, he would have to, in some way, buy into what she's saying. Or at least except the fact that she thinks it's real. When they get back from the dinner with the parents, Tor, while she was having a conversation with her mother, he was having one with her father and found out how horrible the pregnancy was for Cora's mother. He's, I guess, panicking, but instead of talking about his feelings, he just gets grumpy and they have a fight. 
And that's when Cora remembers, oh, yeah, I forgot to take a pregnancy test. Whoopsie. Well, also, backstory on Tor <laughs> is that he and his, his two brothers are all from different mothers because all of the mothers had childbirth issues. Yes, I think all of them died. So there's an edict that got passed by Tor's father that the midwives petitioned for, which is to save the mother. Right. So no one is called upon to make this choice in the middle of the moment. If it's a choice between the life of the mother or the child, they save the mother. And so Cora takes that information and thinks that, okay, if if we're back in that world and I'm having trouble delivering this baby, he's going to essentially save the baby and not me. Yeah, because she's she misinterprets him and thinks that he's upset that that the mother would get saved instead of the child. And she misinterprets that and thinks that he's still concerned with the potential heir over her when really he is concerned about her having issues in labor. Yes, so they they have a big fight as a result, and that's when he leaves. And then she's like, oh, no, wait, I forgot to take a pregnancy test. And so she does, and then realizes that she's pregnant. And then, oh, wait, I've got to go out and get red velvet cake, because I've got to make it, because we have something to celebrate. And so she falls asleep, and about 2 a.m., there is a key at the door. And so she thinks, oh, Tor has arrived, but he's having difficulty with the lock that he just installed. Yes, which Tor installed with no problem whatsoever, mind you. Yes, Cora could not do it and did not feel like the landlord could do it. But Tor, of course, can. I've put in a lock. It's not that hard. <laughs> it has directions. I know, it's, it's not that difficult. I've done it. I don't understand why it's... It's a thing, but it's a thing. Yeah, she hears she hears someone trying to get in, and it turns out it's Knock. And Knock says something like, oh, I see, you know, you change the locks, you don't answer my calls. Yes. Just put my stuff outside tomorrow, and I'll come pick it up. Yeah, she never answers the door. She just leaves it locked. Yeah, she doesn't answer the door <laughs> or anything, because Tor has forbidden her from having contact with him. I'm forbidding this. Basically, yeah. Okay, buddy. Yeah, him and his edicts. Tor returns, finds her sleeping, teases her a little bit about being a warrior princess because she fell asleep with her knife. It turns out he followed Nock to a police station. Turns out Nock is a is a detective, like a plainclothes detective. That all gets confirmed with other Cora being a part of illegal gaming, and that's where all the money came from. Tor has no problem spending that money because he's like, well, she owes us. Cora or other Cora. I guess it's confirmed that she counts cards and was able to pick up poker very easily, which Cora has a hard time believing. And I'm like, it's poker. But apparently the fact that she can pick it up easily is just madness. It's kind of interesting that the other Cora is similar to Tor and that she gets transported to this world and is totally fine. Yes, our world is apparently very easy to get along in. So it's very easy to navigate our world. Except other Cora, I guess, does have a problem with driving the car. But apart from that, she she can... Yeah. See, this is the thing, is I think that's amazing. Like, she gets trans- transported to another world where she has no friends or anything, but she's able to hold her own. Granted, I guess she's a little bit unfriendly, but you kind of see how other people have treated her and who knows how long they have been treating her that way. 
So maybe she feels like she can't rely on anybody else. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a chicken or the egg situation with the other Cora. Was she was she a jerk first? Or is she just not as, as compliant as Rosa? Uh, Cora confirms to Tor that she's pregnant and he's happy because she feels it's a cause for celebration because she baked the cake. Cora also uh, gets a call back from one of her friends who comes by to bring back something she'd borrowed. Phoebe, I think. Yeah, Phoebe. The other Cora has kind of alienated all her friends, but we don't really know how or what she did or said. But Phoebe is very forgiving. She realizes that this wasn't really Cora. And Cora tells her the truth that she's met this dude from an alternate world and was transported there and tells her the whole story. And Phoebe just believes her. Yeah, she's a good friend that way. She's like, oh, well, he's hot. So naturally he's from another world <laughs> or something. I but then Cora asks her, like, well, why did you believe me so fast? And it turns out that Phoebe knows a friend who's a friend of Cersei. Yes. And Cersei's from an alternate universe. So there's a little tie-in from the previous book <laughs> where Phoebe knows a girl who knows a girl who knows the other Cersei. And so she's kind of been conditioned to believe this is a possible thing. Yeah, I mean, when you're hearing something from two totally different sources, I would understand why that would make it a little easier. And then we learn that Tor has not told Cora that, you know, her sister was rescued weeks ago. <laughs> and this whole time, Cora's been on the back burner, like, worrying about Rosa and yeah. the effects of the curse and everything. It turns out, no, Rosa was rescued a while ago. I just didn't tell you. Good guy, that Tor. It's okay. Delicate Rose is fine. We just didn't want to tell you <laughs> because, well, I thought you were the other Cora and I didn't want you to suddenly become not sweet and compliant. Basically, yeah. He lied to her for his own benefit. A little bit like Frey there. Uh, Phoebe hooks him up with Cersei's dad, Harold, who knows a witch who can uh, potentially get them back to Tor's world. And the witch's name is Clarabelle. So this is a parallel between the Clarabelle that she was helping and Tor's world. Yeah, because people from one world are, of course, not like the people from the other world necessarily, but I mean, it seems to vary widely in that one version of a person can have a whole bunch of magic and the other person doesn't. And sometimes they're very, very similar, like Tor and Nock are pretty similar, but then Korra and other Korra are not. Well, the Cerseys were fairly similar and both of them actually have magic. That's true. The Cerseys are similar. So sometimes they're similar, sometimes they're not. It seems to be very the whim of the world. They start making plans. They're going to go see Clarabelle and get transported back to Tor's world and all this stuff. But then suddenly some blue mist appears dun, dun, dun. and Tor disappears. Two weeks pass. Cora is a mess. They've learned that she and Tor are the people who share the soul, not Tor and the other Cora. Being reunited, having the two pieces of the soul reunited and then split apart. The pain of it is just unbearable and Cora is barely functional. Yeah, she's she's taking it pretty badly, as one might expect. And on one hand, I think it's completely understandable. And on the other hand, as a reader, I'm just going, okay, well, now you have your agency back. Can you do things? <laughs> I think that's that's where I was like, okay, I, I get... I get that you're devastated. We can take a little time to address that. But then please go do things. 
Because that's part of the problem with this series as a whole is the female characters aren't allowed to do a whole lot. The male characters go have all the fun, basically. <laughs> Understandably, Cora is distraught. But like I said, you get to do things now. She's pregnant. The love of her life has been whisked away. Yes, she knows she loves him. We as readers are learning to cope with that. Her parents and friend Phoebe have been taking care of her and she manages to get them to leave her alone for a while. And in the brief hour or so that she's alone, Nock shows up. Nock has found out that she's pregnant because even though she and he haven't had any contact since they switched back, he is a detective and he's still been kind of following her because of the card counting. Yeah, because he's hoping that other Cora will lead him to bust another poker ring. He finds out that she's pregnant because she's been going to the doctor and taking prenatals and all that. And he thinks it's his kid. Mm -hmm. And she tells him, no, I'm in love with a man from an alternate world and it isn't your child, it's his. Yes, and that's when he's like, you have mental health issues. She convinces him to help her. So they make a deal. He will help her find the quote witch and see her and get sent back to the world she wants to be in. But if it doesn't work, then she's agreed to see a doctor that he picks. <laughs> Which I think is fair. Yeah. Very reasonable. I mean, he's he's trying to work with what he has in terms of, you know, he's not forcing her to do anything. They're... They're negotiating. They're compromising. He thinks that, that she has his kid in her. You know, he's worried about this kid. Yeah, he gets a little bit like, Cora, you're not going to keep doing poker and things like that now that you have my kid, which makes sense. Yeah, he's like, come on, you need to be on the straight and narrow. We're going to get you help and you're going to be a good mom to this kid, Yeah, basically. Yeah, he's he's trying to, to do the best that he can with the situation. He drives her to Clarabelle's. They're supposed to meet her parents and Phoebe at Clarabelle's. But on the road there, they have a talk. They're talking about the other Cora. And he says, you said I was perfect, completely perfect. You said exactly that. Completely perfect as you should have come to me. So Cora said some weird, creepy stuff to him that has stuck in his mind. Yeah, because I guess other Cora was not all into the scars. There, there's a little bit of a romantic tension between Cora and Nock. Like, Nock, I think, is into this Cora, this version of her. Yes, everybody likes this Cora better. I think Cora sees Tor in him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she's over the moon for the other guy. But as they're driving, all these little stars appear, and then all of a sudden, black horse with a rider surge through like a seam in the sky, and it's Tor. Yay. He's come back for her, and he's mad because oh shit, d she had not help her. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I've searched high and low to find a witch to send me back here, and. I come back and it turns out you're carrying on with him. I know. It's just, it's so, oh my gosh. Just take 
5,000 chill pills, dude, and just knock out for a little bit, can you? Yeah, she's like, please calm down. He's a police officer and he helped me find a witch, which is where we were going just now. I was doing the exact same thing you were doing, buddy. Yeah, he's just, he's so domineeringly possessive. It's just sickening. Yeah, they get swarmed with Vikrants. Yes, and Toil Roys, a new sort of creature, which she actually does describe. Oh, does she? <laughs> what are Toil Roys? I don't remember specifically. I think they have muscles and many limbs or something okay. like that. But there was actually some sort of a description with them. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so they get swarmed. Tor and Nock and Korra are all fighting. Although Tor and Nock are both kind of like, Korra, stay back. We will protect you. <laughs> and Korra's like, no, I will stab them if I want to. <laughs> it's my fight scene and I'll stab if I want to. Yeah, they've kind of beaten them back. But Tor and Nock both kind of realize that they're losing and then all of a sudden pink mist shows up yay pink yes and it's clarabelle and she banishes all the vikrans and toilroys and she says oh harold told me you needed some assistance because harold is cersei's dad from the other book so they get to clarabelle's trailer clarabelle says well i can send you home but i need to do it right now because that other witch is going to send more bad guys and I won't have enough magic to fight them both and then send you home. Yes, we must pick, pick and choose. Yeah, so if you want to go home, I got to do it now, even though your parents aren't here to say goodbye yet. Yes, and meanwhile, Cora is trying to play matchmaker in her head with Phoebe and Nock. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, she's just, she actually, yeah, she tells him like, look her over. I think she means look her up and down, which is a little weird. And then she's like, Phoebe's really good with like, dirty martinis and she's a bit shoe obsessed and she's a bit crazy and i'm just thinking yeah do you think those are qualities tor is looking for or no not tor knock the dirty martinis and the shoe obsessed <laughs> specifically maybe he's into the crazy apparently he is <laughs> it's not a turn off <laughs> Tor at this point tells Cora that if she wants to stay, he'll stay with her. Which is one of the nicer things he does. But Cora wants to go back to his world with him because... She gets a castle. Yeah, she's a princess in his world. Yeah, Yay. earlier in the story, she actually thinks the other Cora is an idiot because she gives up, in this order, the castle and Tor. <laughs> So Clarabelle starts to send them back as her parents are driving up. And so they kind of get to say goodbye, yelling at each other. And then they get sent back to the fantasy world. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be meant to be sentimental, but I honestly was trying to fight laughter. Yeah. And then there's some closing bits. Um, six weeks have passed. Cora's reunited with her, her new sister, basically, Rosa. Yeah, it's so strange. They get sent back to the other world and instantly it's like, oh, there's white flowers everywhere and a wedding is approaching. It's just, it's so like almost whiplash because yeah. two seconds earlier they were fighting for their lives and now it's like, oh no, everything's fine. Yeah. But they're at the trial of the other Korra, Tor's dad, King Ludlum. Basically banishes her to Marygate. Like he gives her the choice, basically. She can go live in Marygate, which is apparently boring in the middle of nowhere. Or she can be in the dungeons of the castle. Yes, so other Korra rightly chooses Marygate. Now, other Korra doesn't feel bad at all, though, is the thing. Like she's still out for number one. 
Yes, which is not particularly great of her. She tells the king that she shouldn't get punished because the prince has found his true mate and her sister is wedding her true mate. And if it wasn't for her plotting, then they never would have gotten together and everything is now as it should be. And she should be allowed to go back to the other world and be with Nock. And Ludlum is like, is Nock actually that into you? And Cora tells him, no, actually, Nock didn't like her. I know, which I feel so bad for other Cora. I'm sorry. I know she's supposed to be a bit villainy, but I still do. I still feel bad for her. Other Cora is very sad by this. Because she really liked the guy, but of course he doesn't feel the same way. She's a bad lay and lazy and all of those other things. Cold fish. There's the wedding with Rosa and Dash, so they get married. And then nine months pass and Cora has a baby boy and everything's perfect and wonderful, but she gets news that she has to come back to her castle. They have a meetup with basically the couples from the previous two books. So there's Frey and Finny, Cersei and Lon, and then also Apollo. They're all having like a war powwow because... Well, let's be straight. They're not all having a war powwow. Cora has to go amuse the other women while the guys talk war. Oh, that's true. Yes, yes. <laughs> the men are having a war powwow. Important distinction. Yes. But apparently King Baldor, who was deposed in one of the prior books, escaped and has aligned with Minerva and a couple other malevolent witches. They captured the Korra of that world, are holding her for some reason. Who's supposed to be secreted away. Like, nobody's supposed to know that she exists. Yeah, but they've captured her. And then there's a little interlude with Valentine. Yay, Valentine. Who talks to Apollo. Because if you remember, Valentine is paid by Apollo to find his dead wife's twin. Yes. And she's found her, but it turns out that she's already married to the other Apollo. Who is apparently not a nice guy. But Apollo says, oh, well, I still want her here. Which you kind of wonder in this story what not a nice guy actually means. Considering what stunning examples there are of nice guys. Yeah, so that's the end. So we got kind of like a buildup, like something's going to happen. Yeah, they and they do. They leave little threads like all the, the women that we know about thus far. Finney, Cersei, and Cora were all living in Seattle. So maybe there's some sort of weird right. Seattle tie-in for some reason. I'm still yes. rooting for other Cora, Minerva, and the Malevolent Witches. <laughs> Well, uh, Valentine's really the, I think she's one of the few characters I actually like in this series. But yeah, I I know it's a fool's <laughs> errand because I know the heroes and heroines will win. But I still like the, the baddies better. Except for Balder. Screw that guy. So should I even bother asking you if you're happy for their happy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy I don't have to read it anymore. <laughs> I know that's mean. I was so done. (laughs) Yeah, their relationship just makes me feel icky. I just, I didn't feel all that great after Frey and Finney or Lon and Cersei. So it's sort of a continuation of, oh, this doesn't make me feel good. Oh, yay, it's over. (laughs) What about you? Were you happy for their happy? Um, yes. 
because they choose their happiness together. Okay. I think I I really appreciated that Tor doesn't force Korra to go back to his world and he wants her to choose. Even though there's like an obvious answer, obviously he wants her to choose his world. They didn't have to either because I think if I remember correctly, Clarabelle actually says like, yes, I could fight these things off. You guys would have to wait a few years, but then you could go back. Yeah. He wants Korra to choose which world that they're going to live in together. And so I did appreciate that. And even though I... Was it a choice, though, with the Stockholm Syndrome? Do you think it was really a choice? (laughs) Um, I like to think it was. (laughs) Okay. Just like with Hades and Persephone, I'd like to think he didn't just rape her. (laughs) Uh... I feel like Tor and Korra's relationship is a little bit more egalitarian than in the other two books because he's still he's still the boss, he's still in charge, he still wants to dictate her life to an extent, but he's a lot more hands-off with the micromanaging. Yeah, that's true. I think. And so I appreciated that. I mean, she was actually able to get out of the castle and go about the town and given that freedom. Granted, he knew every little thing that she did, but at least there was the perception yeah he basically like as long as she was nice to him he was willing to do whatever she wanted yeah and so even though it was it comes off manipulative because we know the truth he's willing to let her have her freedom as long as she she makes him happy yeah I also appreciated that he did have that stint in her world so he's able to better understand what her life was like and what she's giving up her parents her friends her access to modern medicine yes And I like, too, that after the, quote, betrayal happens where Cora learns that Tor's just been shining her on this whole time before she falls down the stairs, he does have to kind of work a little bit to get her back. You know, they have to have some of those talks and some of that rebuilding of what Cora had thought they'd had. And he's working to build what he wants. And so I think at the end of the day, they tried, like, especially once... Once he believed her, once he knew that she had been telling him the truth the whole time, they tried and they they worked to build the relationship together. And so I'm glad they they got what they wanted. Yeah. (laughs) I find myself agreeing with you, but then (laughs) then it's like, yeah, but ew. Yeah, that's the thing. Like all the things we point out in this story, it just makes Tor sound like an insidious, horrible person. And in some ways he is, but in other ways... Again, you know, he's a product of his world. Yes, which babies him. Mm-hmm. So on a scale of awesome to awful, how do you rate Cora? I think with Cora, I think she's conditioned. It's hard to rate a character that you don't think you're really getting the true nature of. And a little bit like Cersei, because Cora gets turned into whatever Tor wants her to be. You get a sense of her, though, once she and he both are zapped back to her world. So you get a little bit more of a sense of who she is as a person. I don't, I don't know. What would you rate her as? I think she's pretty awesome. Um, I think she's really resilient because she's put in a really horrible situation where suddenly everyone around her thinks she's awful. Not only in this world where, you know, the people she doesn't know think she's awful, but then she gets back to her world and it turns out her friends have been alienated. She's in a really horrible emotional situation and she's resilient. I think she, she deals with it. I think the author could have spent some more time on that, like we discussed earlier, like play with the idea of questioning reality a little bit more. But I think overall, she's pretty awesome. 
What do you think about Tor on a scale of awesome to awful? He's definitely leaning towards awful. I think it's a little concerning when the hero's <laughs> name literally has two no's in it. <laughs> what about you? I think he's okay. I think he's kind of middle of the road. I like that he gives Cora the choice to stay. I like that he's willing to give up his world for her. And I, I think it makes sense that he doesn't trust her at first, but I think he doesn't believe her for too long. So that makes it a little less awesome. It's harder to like him because she's super invested in their relationship. And then you find out he's just been playing along so he can get an heir and a good yeah. bed partner. There's also a little bit of the like too perfect, like when they go back to Cora's world, he's just <laughs> able to be fine, you know, go grocery shopping by himself, drive a car, interact with people. Yes, he's so logical. He can just figure everything else out. And I mean, there is the, the explanation he gives Cora where, she, you know, he says, oh, well, you told me all about this world already. But the whole time she was telling him about this world, he thought she was lying. Like, I don't know. If I were talking to someone and I thought every word out of their mouth was a lie, I don't know that I would work to remember it all. No, I don't think so either. So, I don't think I would either. But apparently he just remembers it all and okay. Maybe he has something similar to an iodetic memory where he can't help but <laughs> remember it all. It's a curse. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I feel like he's kind of middle of the road. I was pretty hard on him uh, during our discussion today. But overall, he's not a terrible hero. He's he's definitely not the best hero I've ever read, but he's not the worst. No, I don't think he's the best or the worst. I just think he's uh, <laughs> just disappointing. Yeah. So what about the villain or villains of the story? Awesome to awful. How would you categorize the villains? I honestly like the previous books. I put the hero in with the villains because he's very antagonistic with her, especially mm. in the beginning. And then in theory, when he started to like her more, but after they have the, I think it's the second attack from the Vicrants, he gets physical with her because he's upset because they were losing the fight. Right. You know, if they hadn't found the church, they would have lost. He's upset. So what does he do? He flings her around the room. That's just villainous, frankly. It's hard to forgive. Yeah, uh, he'd be awful. He's exasperating. <laughs> Unfortunately, these are not the worst traits that we've seen in characters in this series and certainly not in the heroes either. True. And so I put him under the villain category. I also put other Korra because winningly or not, she makes Korra's life problematic. I don't necessarily think she's particularly good at being a villain. I honestly feel sad for her towards the end. I know she's portrayed and behaves very selfishly, which definitely is more of a villain trait. It makes me wonder how she got that way. To me, she's a more interesting character than Korra, but she's not our, our heroine. You know, as far as Minerva is, I put her as awful, but she's not really present. You know, she's sort of indirectly present with the Vicrants and the Hugh Crows, which we hear about, but I don't think we ever actually see them. And then the Toilroys, I mean, they're, they're more villainous in that they're actually present what about you how would you sort of rate or or whatnot with the with the villains and the antagonists so i agree with you about minerva i feel like she's a threat but she's kind of like in the background she's looming and i i wonder you know is she and they kind of allude to this that she's going to be part of a threat in the future book or books i kind of feel like the author is introducing her in this book yeah in a way 
And so I didn't really pinpoint her as the main villain. Really, she's more of like the cause of what happened because she's the one who switched them. I think the other Korra in this book is the main villain, but she's pretty narcissistic. She's really only motivated by what is good for her. And that becomes really evident during the scene at the end where she's on trial and she's just concerned about what happens to her. What about her? And that makes her a depressing character, I think, you know, because she's made like these choices like she's I think you're right. I think that there's a reason she's the way she is. And I think part of it is that her whole life she was told, oh, she has this soulmate, like a literal soulmate. And she doesn't have any feelings for this guy. She has feelings for this other guy who already has a soulmate. Yeah, she's all about Dash. Yeah, so she's stuck in this like living a lie where she's you know, has to marry this this guy who's supposed to be her perfect other half, but she doesn't feel that at all. Not to mention the fact that because she's maybe not as nice as she should be, the guy who's supposed to be her soulmate, you don't get the impression that he treated her well. Well, I think that she broke his heart. I think that he was told all along the same thing. Like, oh, you're going to have your perfect half. You're going to have the mate to your soul. You're going to have the perfect one for you. And then he meets her and she's in love with his brother. Yeah, that's messed up. You know, so they both were raised with like this idea of of this perfect love that just didn't happen. And so they both feel cheated, cheated out of it. And they're both selfish characters, too. Yeah, they are. I think while I understand, I think to an extent why she did what she did, even though I don't agree with her putting her sister up in danger, that part I don't understand because as far as we know, she cares about her sister. But she's she's been reduced to this person who just is looking out for number one. Maybe I was reading into it, but it did seem like she was a little bit sad, at least a little bit, when she thought her parents and her sister wouldn't be allowed to go visit her. Yeah. The king, Ludlam, said, no, no, they will be able to see you, but not very often because you're supposed to be a secret. Yeah. Who knows? Like, maybe she could be redeemed? Potentially, I mean, they say she committed treason, and I can see why, uh, especially because she put her sister in danger. She caused the curse to go into effect, but she does. She has a sad life. Yeah, they seem to be more upset that she aligned herself with Minerva, necessarily that because she put her sister in danger. Minerva was fighting somewhere on the coast, which is why we didn't get to see much of her in the story. And I kind of wonder what was happening at the coast and why wasn't the story there? (laughs) where it could have been a little more exciting (laughs) and a little less fling the heroine around the roomy. So on a scale of one to five, how would you rate this book? I put it as a two. I won't reread it again. Okay. I felt really (laughs) let down by the book the second time because the first time I read it, I had enjoyed it more. But I think in all honesty, I was a little bit distracted and I don't think I was listening to it as carefully. And so I think I was a little more aware of, of things that I don't particularly like in my stories just in general but more specifically with a romance so yeah I would say too it wasn't as upsetting as as the previous book what about you I rated it a four. Oh, okay um I I read it twice as well and the first time I read it I rated it a four I think if I were rating it again on the second read maybe it would be a three so maybe a three and a half would be fair I think that the main reason I rated it a four is because I enjoyed the the differences that this book had from the prior two books. Because you have in the first book, 
uh, heroine who knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. And then in the second book, you have a heroine who's thrust into a horrible, physically fraught world. And then in this book, it's very mental. Yeah. And I enjoyed that aspect of it, like the mind games aspect of it. I thought it was well written. I think that there were things I would have liked more of, but what there was, I enjoyed. Do you feel like the mind games were well executed? For example, essentially once they're in that cabin, she thinks she's getting believed. But of course, you find out later that he doesn't believe her. Do you feel like that was well done? Do you think there should have been hints that maybe he doesn't believe her? I think that the biggest hint is when they're traveling to his castle and he tells her that he's changed his mind yeah. and that she can play her game and he's fine with it. From that point on, that's where the quote switch happens and he seems to be believing her. Yeah. And we got warned, you know, like he was going to play along. The book kind of lulls you in to like this false sense of security along with Cora. Like, okay, well, he's being nice to me. He's believing me. He's acting like he believes me. Maybe he actually does. And so I think it, I think it was good that there weren't any hints after that because that made the scene where she realizes that he's been playing her game this whole time just that much more heart heart-wrenching yeah it's more powerful that way you know because that scene that scene with the cake is very stark I think that scene was very well written I really um like there was a lot of feeling there and I think you could tell how hurt Cora was yeah I agree I I think that was probably of the scenes in the book I think that was probably my favorite which is a weird way to to isolate that as a favorite but because I think it was so well done and well executed between both what I imagine the the written text read as and with Hooper's performance so um did you feel <laughs> romanced I don't think this will shock you at all <sighs> but no I don't feel romanced um I think did you feel romantic <sighs> off? Is that a roman look down? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say I was angry. <laughs> it was just, I mean, I must admit I had a lot of dismissive eye rolls during quite a bit of the book. <laughs> I think this being book three after what happens in book two, I think it was just a relief that there wasn't more rape. So I think it was one of those like, oh, this yeah. is more of a nice story and and so in reading it the second time... Oh, he only shakes her. Oh, yes. He only shakes her to where she sees stars. And he only he only spanks her. And he only throws <laughs> her around twice and bruises her. Only. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. No. I, I understand that, that behavior well <laughs> myself. No, so I would definitely say I don't feel romanced. You know, there were certainly more climaxes during the story than happened at the end of the book because it was really anticlimactic. I felt like there's the fight with the Vicarants and then, or Vicarants in the Toilroys and then like, oh, look, happy, happy wedding. And it was a little bit of, I mean, my own neck felt a little snapped. What about you? Did you feel romanced? I think there were parts, um, especially like when you're being lulled into that false sense of security where she feels like he believes her. He's really good to her yeah. during those parts. The sex is really good. There's a bit of a domination edge to him, um, which is kind of sexy, I thought. And I did I did appreciate that 
there was some more time spent on them as a couple after that climactic scene where, oh, you didn't believe me, you know? Yeah. Like, there's there's more time spent of them repairing their relationship. And so... That was a good choice. Yeah. So I think, I mean, while, while I wouldn't want it for myself, I think that that I was buying in while I was reading it. Yeah, there was some arc there, which made it believable considering where the characters were and who they were. So what else are you reading? I will be rereading Gravesite by Charlene Harris. We mentioned that book a little bit ago and I just got a hankering. And as the, oh. as with this recording happening in October, I'm still in a very That's Halloween-y exciting. spooky place. I enjoyed the series quite a bit and was so sad when it stopped after, was it four or five books? So I am preparing myself for heartbreak. Again, Charlene <laughs> Harris, if you're listening, and we know you aren't, please. but if you are, please, I beg of thee. please more Harper Connolly. I beg of thee. <laughs> we will buy them all. I promise. <laughs> I will. Totally. I've, yeah, I will be f- Maybe not first in line, but I'll be, I'll be, well, <laughs> there's no lines anymore. We're ordering everything on Amazon now. At any rate, so Gravesite has Harper Connolly and her stepbrother, Tolliver, who find dead people. Harper specifically is the one who finds them, and Tolliver kind of handles everything else. So they go to, I think it's pronounced Sarn, to find a missing kid. And while they're there, dun-dun-dun... A woman is discovered murdered, and so the plot thickens, and a whole bunch of enjoying story happens. Enjoying story? Wow, I said that awkwardly. Anyway, (laughs) what about you, Erica? What are you reading? So I just started a book called The Last Flight by Julie Clark, and it's a thriller. I've been reading a lot of thrillers lately. Uh, This story is uh, where two women, Claire and Eva meet at an airport bar and learn they're both on the run from something Mm. and they decide at the last minute to switch their plane ticket but the plane claire was supposed to get on goes down with eva on it (gasps) and claire decides that it's a chance for her to take on eva's identity but then she has to deal with eva's secrets oh no i mean oh yes that sounds good (laughs) (laughs) i just started it but it's good so far i'm i'm excited to continue well good i can't wait to hear about it So that's it for today. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads list. Join us next time when we discuss The Christmas Pack by Vi Keelan and Penelope Ward.